Today's passage is from 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 to 14. 1 John 2, verse 3. And by this we know that we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Beloved, I'm writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going, because the darkness has blinded his eyes. I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. Heavenly Father, your word is like a double-edged sword that cuts to the very heart of us, into our very bones and marrow, revealing us for who we truly are. And when your word does that, it can be painful, but it can also be healing. Like a surgeon's scalpel that opens in order to heal, we pray that your spirit will be at work in both convicting us of sin as well as giving us the assurance of your love and your grace and mercy and salvation. Please speak to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, who of you here who came last week were worried and anxious after the sermon? No one saw I've got one person brave now put their hand up. Okay, I know for sure there's one. And there's a few more I spoke to last week and during the week who were a bit worried last week. Now, whenever we talk about the topic of assurance or the genuineness of our faith, it can create that kind of soul-searching, that kind of worry in our hearts. And the scriptures are full of passages which causes us to search our souls. Last week, as we were confronted with whether we were walking in the light or in the darkness, whether we truly had fellowship with God or not, we looked at the topic of sin, didn't we? Uh, We looked at the topic of sin, the threat of sin. Uh, To be able to examine whether the lifestyle that you have is one of godlessness and ungodliness, whether you were a Sunday Christian or a worldly Christian, or whether you truly walked in the light as God is light. And maybe that's caused some of us to worry. But instead, I hope it caused you to spend time in confession, not just Sunday, but during the week, to to spend time in confession and repentance 
and to renew your, your convictions, to, to ask for forgiveness, to be cleansed of your sins by the Lord Jesus. Now, whenever God does open heart surgery on us, like he did last Sunday, perhaps, it will be a waste, isn't it, to have go through all that pain and not let God fix your heart, fix your problem. Now, as we continue on in 1 John today, John continues on in this same theme, as he will for the whole five chapters of genuine faith. But rather than focusing on the warning of the threat of sin, as he did last week, he now moves on to a strong word, a strong comfort of assurance. It's a kind of very uh, beautifully pastoral thing to do, isn't it? He brings the sledgehammer down, and then he heals, right? It's a very pastoral thing to do, to, 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 to expose sin, and then to bring comfort and healing. Now, the situation of, uh, of the church that John was writing to most likely seems to be that there were people who had left the church, perhaps even leaders. Those who claimed to be part of God's people uh, had left the church. They claimed to have fellowship with God, but they actually lived in darkness. They denied sin, as we saw last week, and they denied sinfulness in their lives. And John made it clear last week in the passage we saw that these so-called believers were, in fact, living a lie. Right? They were living a lie. Now, this can be a word of comfort, isn't it, for those who remain. Because if you've been in a church long enough, if you've been in church year, for years, you, you would know people who have left the church for different reasons. A few years back, there were a few seemingly mature leaders uh, who left the church. And it can create a, a worry for those who remain. Maybe they're in the right for leaving. Maybe what they think and what they believe about the faith or, or, or in, in turning away from Christ is actually right. And it can create, those, it create in those who stay a, a worry that maybe we are not seeing things as, as they see who are, who are leaving. And it's comforting sometimes to know that, no, no, we're okay. We have the truth. And they're, in fact, the ones living a lie. I mean, we don't gloat about it, but it can be a comfort to know that we are in the truth. But maybe it can create also a sense of those who were once part of the faith, those who even seem to be mature and leaders who have left the faith, that, that maybe we too are, are living a lie. May, maybe we too one day will, will see that we are actually self-deceived. And we are the ones walking in darkness, and, and we are going to fall away as well. Now already at the start of chapter 2, as we saw last week, John has given them and us the, the biggest objective reason for assurance to know that we're okay. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous, who is the propitiation for our sins. Now, if all that just sounds like a mumbo-jumbo of words, go back and listen to last week's sermon, okay? I won't explain propitiation again. I will in about four weeks' time when we look at it in chapter 4. So go and listen to last week's sermon, right? But that's the, the objective foundation of our assurance is Jesus. Fellowship with God is ultimately and objectively based on something outside of ourselves. The death of Jesus who brings us forgiveness and cleansing of sin is the grounds for our assurance. And here in this passage, John continues to provide the comfort of assurance. We see in this 12 verses this repeated phrase, by this we know, by this we know, right? by this we know. Three things that John will talk about for us to know and have assurance. And then at the end of this passage, in the last three verses, there is this very personal and very pastoral observation that John makes about his readers, which adds to the comfort and assurance that they have. And we'll look at that later on this morning. So let's dive in to verse 3, right? The first, how can we know that we know God? 
Verse 3. And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. Now as we get into this passage, we must be clear that John is talking about assurance for Christians and not about becoming a Christian. Does that make sense? It's not about becoming a Christian. It's all about assurance for Christians. Did you notice how John doesn't say, and I'm going to bring this up, right? Uh, By this we come to know God if we obey His commandments. He doesn't say that. The first line is wrong. That's not what the passage says, right? Verse 3 says, By this we know that we have come to know God if we obey His commandments. It's not about knowing God. It's about how we know we have come to know. Notice the difference? Are you awake enough to notice the difference? Good English, all right? To come to know God through obedience is salvation by our own effort and merit. That is not the Christian gospel, right? Let's be clear. That is not the Christian gospel. That first line, scratch it out, right? That's not what John's talking about. John is talking about knowing that you have a genuine relationship with God. The reason we can have a relationship with God is through faith in Jesus Christ, our propitiation, right? That's what we saw before. God draws us to himself through Jesus, and we respond through faith. That's how we can have a relationship with God. The question is, do we actually have this relationship? Have we actually responded with faith? That's the question, isn't it? We can have a relationship, but do we actually have one? Now, when it comes to human relationships, it's very easy to know whether you have a relationship with someone or not, isn't it? How do I know that I am Faith's husband? Right? How do I know? Well, I know because we dated for a very short period, and then we engaged for a pretty short period, and then we've been married for about 16 years. <laughs> 16 years, that's correct. 16 years in June uh, last week. In fact, we had two weddings, 21st of June and 12th of July, so we're in like the honeymoon period 16 years later now, right? And not only that, not only did we go through all those things, we also have a day-to-day relationship where we relate to each other, where we love each other, and sadly, we also have all of the relational problems that married couples have, where we fight and all that, right? So there's all evidences that we know that we have this marriage relationship. So how do we know that we really know God and have a relationship with Him? Well, John says... If we keep his commandments, you know that you have a relationship with God if you follow his rules. Now, that causes such warmth in your heart, doesn't it? No, it doesn't, does it? It it sounds kind of cold, doesn't it? It sounds kind of impersonal to say that you know that you really have a relationship with God if you follow his rules. Who's whooping for joy at the moment? It sounds cold and, and, and impersonal. It, it, really? This is how I know that I have a relationship with God? Maybe we've misunderstood what keeping His commandments mean. Does it just mean rule following? I don't think so, right? Keeping God's commandments doesn't mean just sort of mere rule following. Neither does it mean some sort of faultless obedience, right? A faultless perfection, now, you can't mean that, given what Jesus had just said, or John had just said in the previous passage. John says that no believer can claim to be without sin. We all have sin, and we all sin, 
And so we need to keep confessing our sins and receiving forgiveness that comes through Christ as a believer, a genuine believer, still has and confesses sin. So keeping God's commandments doesn't mean faultless perfection. It doesn't mean sort of just dry rule following. Because when you understand what keeping something means, uh, you understand that keeping is something about, about being uh, watching something carefully, right? It's the word that we see in Genesis 1. Keep and watch over God's creation. It's to hold tightly and dearly, to treasure something, to keep God's commandments. It's to treasure His words. It's not just about doing of rules. It's about keeping close and treasuring dearly what God says. As you would say, treasure the words and the promises of someone that you love. Right? To keep someone's promises and to keep someone's words dear to you is the same kind of thing, right? Now, let me just say, isn't it a universal truth that children show their love to their parents through obedience? And all the parents say, Amen. Right? Right on. Right? Preach it, pastor. Okay? And as a parent, you know that deep pain of a child who is constantly disobedient and who constantly disregards what you say. Now, as a, ch- as a child, maybe you don't really know what that feels like at the moment, but one day, if you do become a parent, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. But as parents, we know the pain of disobedience. And we also know the pain of a child who obeys unwillingly, begrudgingly, And even worse, a child who obeys and does the action but hates you in their heart. That's not obedience. That's not love. That's not respect, is it? But obedience that flows out of love and respect, that's the the holy grail for parents. But it really isn't something that is unexpected or or unrealistic or unattainable. In a way, you think about a, a, a beautiful family, and that's the relationship that should have. There should be a loving kind of uh, obedience from children to parents for a family to really work. Now, why would this be any different with our Creator, our King, and, and our Savior? In fact, you would think that obeying Him out of love or, or showing our love through obedience will be even more the way that we show love to, to our God. Our parents have a position of authority over us as imperfect humans, but God has ultimate authority, total ownership over us as our creator and savior. It goes without saying, but John does anyway, right? That you can't say, you can't possibly say that you truly know God if you don't want to keep his word. You just can't. It's impossible to say that you have a relationship with God and you just disobey Him. And you don't treasure what He says to you. And you don't keep it and even love it. And of course, do it. It's a total lie. It's a sham relationship. It's one of those sort of fake marriages, right? That you just sign some paper and and you do some external things, but there's nothing. You can't call God God and not treat God as God. It's as simple as that, right? You can't call God God and not treat God as God. But if you call God God and treat God as God, which is to say you desire to obey, you grow in obedience, 
and you love obeying Him, and you do this more and more as you experience the forgiveness and cleansing that Jesus brings by His Spirit, then, blessed assurance. Blessed assurance. Then you know that you are in a relationship with God. Obedience shows that there's love in your heart. As John puts it in verse 5, in you truly the love of God is being perfected. If you obey God and you keep His word. Obedience is one of the most important signs that we love God. Growing obedience shows a growing love for God. So, if you've asked yourself recently, do you know whether you know God? Do you know whether you love Him? Well, have a look at your life as to whether you are treasuring His Word and growing in obedience. Now, the second thing he says, uh, the second by this we know statement is seen in the second half of verse 5 into verse 6, and it presses in further into the topic of assurance. By this we know that we are in Him. Whoever says He abides in Him ought to walk in the same way in which He walked. Now, John changes from by this we know that we know God to something that sounds even more intimate, isn't it? By this we know that we abide in Him. Now, on one level, the word abide just means to be in the same place as, right? It's just a kind of a a location word. But when when John uses it, and when Jesus uses it in John's gospel, it's another level of intimacy. To, To abide is something incredibly intimate, To abide with Jesus is to be in Christ, united with Him in spirit, in life, and for eternity. It is to share in every spiritual blessing in Christ. It is to, when we are in Christ, we have His holiness sort of covering and and washing over us like a cloak. It, It is to take on the identity of Jesus as the Son of God. We who are wretched, sinful humanity, man, woman, is now a Son of God in Christ. It is to have our eternity, our identity wrapped up with Jesus. It is to be certain of eternal rest and relationship, of glory and goodness, and of peace and prosperity. Fellowship with God is what we were created for. Abiding in Jesus Christ is just another way of saying it, right? So last week we looked at fellowship with God, that's what we were created for. Abiding with Christ is just another way of, of saying it. Another glorious description of the very thing that we are created for and offer it to those who would believe in Him. So the question is, how do you know you abide in Jesus Christ? And the answer is, if you walk in the same way in which He walks. Walk in the same way in which He walks. Now some of you know, if you've been here long enough, that I love my Kung Fu movies, right? Ip Man and all those uh, old style uh, Chinese martial arts movies. Uh, and you always have this scene, right, where the, the master is uh, demonstrating right, the moves, uh, and um, the disciples sort of shadow the master's every move. Uh, this is the one time that 100% copying and plagiarism is called for, right? You want to copy the master. And in fact, that's the reason why you would join the school. Every master has their style. So when you sign up to that style, right, Wing Chun, then you do the Wing Chun style because you believe that's the best, okay? And uh, how do you know that you're in that school? Well, you will practice along with the master, and then you will do the same moves as your master, right? That's the, the Chinese Kung Fu way. Now, to say that 
you are a Christian is to say that you are in Jesus' style. It's kind of like saying, I've signed up to this school. If you truly are in Christ, then your moves are his moves. Right? He is our master, and his ways ought to be our ways. We are in him, and so we shadow his very moves. We ought to. Not, perhaps we might, not an option extra, but we ought to. Not because it's some kind of merit way of earning your way into the school, but it's because you signed up to be a follower of Jesus, to be abiding in him, so you follow his style. Now, how did Jesus walk? Well, it's definitely not in darkness. It's not like what we saw last week with these false believers in, in godless daily living and in ungodly behavior. No, Jesus was godly. He, he relied and depended on God at every moment. If you read the Gospels, every moment we see his reliance on God. He trusted his Father. He stayed on God's mission. He prayed daily, prayed when he was grieved, prayed when things got tough. He sought to live a life that pleased his Father. And Jesus loved, didn't he? He showed compassion and genuine friendship, sacrificial love. He righted wrongs. He taught the truth. He corrected those in error and displayed righteous anger towards those who were wicked. But you might be asking yourself right now, how is it possible to walk as Jesus did? Right, you know, 20, 30 years ago, how long has it been? WWJD. It's a long time, right? No one really does that anymore. What would Jesus do? It's, I mean, it's tacky, but it's also seemingly impossible to walk exactly as Jesus does. But the answer is very similar to keeping God's commandments. These instructions are never about sinless perfection. It's never just about pure action, just about the doing. It's always about the direction and the inclination of our hearts. It's about the way of life. It's about the pattern, the standard operating procedure that we have committed ourselves to. It's a heart thing, an attitude thing. And then from that flows the actions. It's like the martial arts disciples, right? They do not have the exact moves of the master. In fact, they probably never will have the exact same moves as the master because the master is the master. But what do they do? They commit themselves to training and to following all the days of their lives. That's what we do. We keep on following. Now, the third point of assurance is found in verses 7 to 11. Beloved, I am writing to you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you, have, you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you. Because the darkness is passing away, and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Now John returns to this imagery of light and darkness that we saw last week. Right, being in fellowship with God who is light means that we who are uh, in Christ, we who know God, also walk in the light. And John says, well, how do you know that you're in the light? And the simple, an- simple answer is if you love. Right? If you love 
your brother or sister in Christ. Now, verse 7, John speaks about no new commandment, but an old commandment. And you're kind of wondering, what's, what old commandment is he talking about? Well, the commandment to love goes all the way back, doesn't it, into the Old Testament. This whole idea of loving your neighbor isn't something that's new, it's old. Uh, for instance, in Leviticus, um, it says, um, You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? I am the Lord. And then later on in verse 34 of the same chapter, you shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you, and you shall love him as yourself. For you are strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. So way back, this is Leviticus, the, 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 way, way, way back, thousands of years before John wrote, already God had given instructions to his people to love. It wasn't something new. But then John then says that there is something new about God's commandment to love now, in this time. In verse 8, he says, At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you. Now, John's a bit confusing, isn't it? He always says one thing and then the other thing. But what is this new commandment? He explains it in the next phrase. The new commandment to love is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. And of course, with a Bible reading, you always have to figure out who the pronouns are. For those people who are not grammatically inclined, a pronoun is like him or her, it or they, right? So um, the him here is obviously Jesus, because it flows on from the previous passage, which is true in Jesus, and now in you, the followers of Jesus as well. The love which is true is the love shown most clearly and fully by Jesus. He came to demonstrate love in the fullest sense. He taught that all of the the Old Testament commandments, all of the law of God is summed up by the commandment to love God and to love others. And then he demonstrated his love uh, throughout his life, the compassionate love for the lost and the sick. The humble love as he washed even the feet of his disciples and the sacrificial love of even dying for his enemies, for sinners, like you and I. The love of Christ is the new kind of love that Christians are to have. Now, in a way, these three aspects of assurance aren't standalone aspects, are they? So the three aspects are what? Obey, or sorry, keep God's commandments, walk as Jesus walked, and love. They're all really about the same thing. God's commandments are summed up by love. To love God and others truly is the way to obey all of God's commandments. The way of Jesus Christ is the way of love. To walk in the same way Jesus walked is to love others. They're all tied together. So really, it's a love test, isn't it? Now, how is your love life? How is your love life? Now, it's not about BGR, that's just nonsense, right? Love life, you think, oh, I hate asking me ask that question, you know, I'm still single, or, or my, my relationship's a mess. But no, it's not about BGR, it's much bigger than that. How is your love life? How is the way you're going with treating those in the church, those in your family, and maybe even those outside in the world? See, by God's grace, we have all been brought into this family, God's church. 
the family where we are, where we are far, Jesus, God's our father, and Jesus as our brother, and each other as adopted family members. But yet we are a family of sinners, aren't we? Yes, we are saved sinners, but every one of us still struggles with the same problem, and it stains our relationships. And there are many human reasons for us not to love each other, not to get along, to get annoyed, and to even hate each other, even though we're supposed to be the family of God. I know there are always people who rub you up the wrong way, isn't there? That when you see them kind of coming towards you in morning tea, you, you do like a half turn, and then you slowly find a way to avoid that interaction. There's some people who just sort of seem to only want to be in cliques, and that really upsets you. And then there, there is bad moods that we have that makes us say things that we don't really want to say or we shouldn't say, or there's jealousy or insecurities or impatience, and, and, and on and on. I could create a long list of the reasons why we, as the family of God, do not love each other. And that is precisely why the presence and the evidence of love, the sharing of love, is such a clear marker for whether we are in fellowship with God, whether we abide with Christ, and whether we are living in the light. It's because those of us who truly are believers are being cleansed and transformed in our love lives. John says that those who love and abide in the light won't stumble. As we journey together towards the light, the more we love, the clearer we see, and the less likely we are to fall over and stumble in our faith. But then John says, for those who live in darkness, they're blinded. Right? For us to, to keep hating each other and keep being annoyed with each other and, and keep criticizing each other and keep avoiding each other is to keep closing our eyes and fall over in our faith. There is a very practical and very spiritual reason to get over your anger and hatred and insensitivity and broken relationships in the church. It's because when we walk in love, we walk in the light, and we won't fall over. But if we hate, and we have broken relationships, we live in the dark, and we will stumble, and we will fall. Now, how are you going with keeping God's commandments, walking in the way of Jesus and loving others? Now, at this point in time, you're thinking, how is this a passage of assurance, right? Maybe you're even more worried now. You're even more, more anxious. And it is the right thing to go away and, and, and examine yourself, a bit of self-assessment as to how you're going with keeping God's commandments and walking in the way of Jesus and loving others. But John doesn't want us to walk away with that kind of heaviness in our hearts, I don't think. He'll want us to hear the great comfort of assurance that he gave to his original readers and that I think applies to us as well. Verse 12. I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. He starts again. I write to you, children, because you know the father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. It's like John was stuck in repeat, isn't he? But he addresses three groups of people twice, doesn't he, in these verses? Little children, fathers, and young men. 
Now, it's, it's very likely that he isn't referring to biological age groups. He's not necessarily talking about you know, young children, those in the cry room now, and then fathers, like literally just fathers, and then young men. I think he's talking about sort of spiritual age. All right? It's talking about those who are at different levels of spiritual maturity. Little children are those who are new in the faith. And look at what he says to those at the start of their journey. In verse 12 and at the end of verse 13. The first word to brand new believers, young in the faith, is forgiveness. That is not based on our merits, but for the sake of Jesus' own name. Right? Verse 12. The very foundation of faith is not on what we do, but on what Christ has done. It isn't on what we deserve, but on Jesus' own commitment to his own name. He's doing it for his own sake, and that's a good thing. If he was doing it for our sake, we'd be in trouble, because we don't deserve anything good from Jesus. But he does it for his own sake, and he forgives us for his own sake. And so because of this, even the most newborn of Christians know the Father. At the end of verse 13, there's an instant connection. There is an instant relationship form, a communion with the Father. Now, certainly, knowing the Father more deeply will take time. But every new believer has assurance of truly knowing God. Whether you're a one-second-old Christian or whether you're a hundred-year-old Christian, you know God. You have a genuine connection and relationship with God. No difference whatsoever. So I want to encourage the young believers here. As, as often as you are pricked by sin and have doubts and worries about your faith, go back to the firm foundation that God has built. Now, Christians aren't perfect people. We are forgiven people. Our assurance is found in God's salvation, not in our performance. And never forget that. Now, before I move on, I'm going to get Faith to help me get some milk. Is that right? In the cupboard? Or oh, Winnie? Sorry, I, if you're wondering why I have milk, it's because sometimes I have reflux uh, and uh, the pain rises, so it's sort of uh, starting up now. So I'll just uh, wait for the milk to come before we get to the next point. So just uh, have a quick chat among yourselves, and I'll be back with you in 30 seconds. Cheers. Now, good. Just a reminder, it has got my name on it, Pastor Ben, in the cupboard, so don't ever take my milk, otherwise uh, <laughs> Steve will have to come up and finish my sermon for me. It's like a baby drinking milk, isn't it? It's kind of appropriate. <clears throat> All right. John then jumps to the other end of the spectrum. Okay, so we go from uh, young children, and then what does he say next? To the fathers, right? And once again, we're not talking just about fathers, males. We're talking about mothers, spiritually mature, those who, who are not biologically old, but those who are long-term uh, in the faith, those who are mature and steadfast and fruitful. And to spiritual parents, John repeats the same assurance in verse 13 and in verse 14, the exact same assurance. You know... Him who is from the beginning. Right? You have really come to know Jesus, whom you have walked with for so many years. 
He's saying to them, you have enjoyed a long, sustained, and incredibly intimate relationship with your Lord and Savior. What a joy that is. He's saying, parents in the faith, remember that you've walked, you've known Jesus for so long. Now, for those of you here who are sort of mature and long in the faith and and faithful and fruitful for a long time, you know what? You are such an encouragement. You can be such an encouragement to those who are younger as you share what it's like to have had such a long, intimate relationship with Jesus, to be able to share your life and see how walking closely with Christ has gotten you through the ups and the downs of life, how you're able to cope with Doubts in the faith when you were younger or even when you were older. Tragedies in your life as you maybe lost a child or or lost a husband or or, or lost a sibling or a parent. Or when you went through a time of unemployment. Or maybe even the joys of having gone to church for 2,000 Sundays straight. Is that right? 50 years, 50 years, 50 50 weeks a year, 2,500 Sundays. You know that? You've been going to church for 50 years straight. You know, the, the amount of times of corporate worship and the sitting under of God's word, the, 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 the million days of reading through scriptures. Maybe, why not share that with those around you and talk about what a joy that has been. And that, I, I'm sure, will bring you great assurance to know that you have walked closely, intimately with your Lord and Savior, Jesus. Now, finally, John addresses the young men and the young women, and this is the group that I think describes most of us, whether we are young or old, in biological age. It's the growing believer, isn't it? This young men description is the growing believer. And even if you're 80 or 90, you can still be a growing believer. You can still be a spiritual parent, but I think you can still be a young man, as according to this passage. This growing believer... The big thing about this group is that they overcome, isn't it? Twice it's told us that they, they overcome. They, they are strong. They have God's word abide in them. They overcome the evil one. The growing believer is the one who experiences victories over the evil one, over sin and over darkness. And you're thinking, well, this doesn't sound like me. And once again, it doesn't sound like me. And when's the last time you said to yourself, I have overcome the evil one. I am strong. Who said that recently? No. Well, I think you should. I think you should. You see, overcoming the evil one doesn't mean perfect and total victory over sin. We overcome the evil one in so many ways. You know, the fact that you and I define sin as sin is evidence that we have the Spirit living in us, and that we have overcome the evil one. Right? John 16 tells us that the Spirit's work is to convict us of sin and to tell us what righteousness is. And so right now, if you're a believer in sin, and you, and you feel the darkness of sin, and you understand what sin is, you have overcome the evil one from clouding your mind and blackening your heart so completely that you don't even acknowledge sin in your life. You've overcome the evil one. The fact that you battle sin shows strength. If you've been fighting specific sins for years, you have showed sustained strength. 
that you haven't given in, that maybe you even have victories. Maybe it's lust. Maybe it's greed. Maybe it's something else. Your tongue, your, the way you spend money, the way you treat people. If the fact that you're still fighting after 1, 10, 20, 50 years shows the strength that you have to keep going, the strength that God has given you. The fact that you are constantly seeking to go back to God's Word, maybe not every day, but the fact that you're here means that you want to abide in God's Word. The fact that God's Word is shaping your thinking and your attitude and your living, it shows that you are overcoming the evil one, that you have strength and that you abide in His work, in His Word. You know, many of us look back and maybe we're a bit more pessimistic when it comes to our faith. We often just see the flaws and the failures. But it will be a denial of God's grace and His Spirit in your life for you to deny what He has done, for you not to see that you are not what you used to be. I know that's true for many of you and for me, that there has been progress. In some areas, maybe the progress is small. But maybe if you reflect long enough, there are some areas in which you're completely rid of, that you've completely overcome. You know, Jesus, uh, John wants to leave us with a word of assurance. Whether you're a little child, whether you're a, a parent in the faith, or whether you're a young person striving, I think there is so much evidence that I can see as a pastor of this church to see that there are many here who are genuine believers. But obviously, I only see with human eyes. God sees with perfect vision. And I think you can see for yourself, as you look at yourself, that many of us here can be assured. But mostly we can be assured because, as always, it is God, His grace and His love and mercy, which gives us the assurance that we need. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, You know our hearts right now. And you know that some of us here are feeling the weight of burden and of sin and of failures. And sometimes as we come to these kind of uh, proofs or evidences for genuine faith, we are more likely than not to wallow in misery and have fear that perhaps we are not in relationship with you, that perhaps we do not abide with Christ and that we're not actually in the light. But I pray for all of us here that your spirit will be at work in us. For those who have confessed Christ, who have received his wonderful sacrifice, his love that cleanses us and forgives us of all sin, that by being joined to Christ in faith, we, have, we abide in him. We have every spiritual blessing. We have every reason to hope. And even as we observe and, and look into our own lives and see that we have made progress, that we do desire to be here this Sunday and every Sunday, that even though it's a struggle, we open your word. And we have kept, kept trying, even through failures, to keep fighting sin, to keep over, overcoming the things uh, that keep pulling us back. Please show us that we have overcome the evil one in so many ways. Please comfort us with assurance, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.